Amen. You may be seated. I'm really glad you're with us this morning. I'm, uh, I've got a real excitement about the, the series that we want to start this morning. And uh, I, I think in some ways, um, a lot of what we've been doing before, maybe all of what we've been doing before has kind of been leading up to this. Uh, so I want to turn with you, I'd like for you to turn with me to uh, Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 77. I've got to be careful not to get ahead of myself. I've got about six weeks worth of messages in my heart. This morning's going to be a little different, though, because this may be the only scripture we turn to. Because uh, the series I want to teach on, begin teaching on uh, is, um, uh, well, we're going to entitle it God and Miracles. And there are some things that I, I, I know that uh, the Lord wants me to, to share. I know there are some things that the Lord has been showing me here over the last several weeks that, um, uh, that, are, that are changing my way of thinking about some things and, and um, increasing my expectation for some things. But then I also have a, a witness in my heart that I'm in uncharted territory, that, um, uh, that there are things that the Lord wants to show us as we go and, uh, and I have no idea what those are going to be, but I, I really have a, well, it's like I'm jumping up and down on the inside, just uh, waiting for that to happen. This morning, I want to talk to you about understanding miracles. Psalm 77, the whole psalm is, is excellent, but uh, we want to use the, uh, the 14th verse. It says, thou art the God that doeth wonders. The word wonders means miracles. Thou art the God that doeth miracles. Thou hast declared thy strength. Another translation, most other translations say thy might among the people. Now, there's a, it's an interesting thing when you start talking about miracles because uh, um, there's a, a, well, let me say it this way. We know the way the devil works. Jesus told us about the sower sowing the word, the story in Mar, uh, the parable in, Matt, in uh, okay, let me pray again. Lord, slow me down. I got plenty of time. I could teach this forever, couldn't I? Okay, thank you. Now I can take my time. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells us the parable of the sower sowing the word. He talks about the word being the seed, of, uh, being the seed that's sown. The word of God is the seed. And the, the ground is, uh, different types of ground is different types of people. And literally, the attitude that people have toward the word. And Satan's influence is to either take the word away, keep us from ever taking hold of it and believing it to begin with, or if he's not successful in that, to choke the word either by affliction or persecution or uh, distractions or things like that to keep the word from producing results. Well, we know that's true in every area, in every regard. When the subject of miracles comes up, the world that we live in, it's not this way all over the world, but in the society that we live in, there's, uh, uh, there is, has been created, and it's obvious that it's the work of the devil to try to steal the word uh, concerning God's power from us, but there's a, there's a, a, a kind of accepted norm that you either believe in miracles or you're a person of fact or science or reason, and that these things are in odds one against the other. And uh, and certainly the uh, from the scientific community, the uh, the idea of the absence of God or there is no God is the most widely published position. But you need to understand something, folks, that miracles and, and science are not in opposition to one another. And that many, if not most, scientists are Christians. In fact, Albert Einstein, you, you may have heard of him. Albert Einstein, who is, who is still recognized to be one of the most brilliant of the scientists that the earth has ever known, said this. He said, science 
was created can only be created by those who have a true aspiration for truth and understanding. And he said that feeling must come from religion. Now, Einstein was not a Christian like you and I would uh, expect. He wouldn't come to our church and probably wouldn't be comfortable here. We talk too much about Jesus and so forth. But, but he said specifically that the underlying desire, the underlying search for truth and understanding comes from faith. He said that he could not imagine a scientist being worth his salt. Those are my words, not his. But he couldn't imagine any scientist, uh, any effective scientist, not having that basis of faith. He went on to say, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Many of the great scientists of the world were Christians. Science was created by Christians. Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton was a Christian, very committed Christian. Galileo, many people think that he was uh, not a Christian because of the fight that he had with the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church during his day. But he was a very committed Christian. Science was designed by people that wanted to know more. Yet today the idea, and uh, for example, there was a... uh, um, there was an article in 2013 New Yorker magazine where one of the contributing um, writers, whoever he is, made the statement that there is no reason for us to search for God. We know that in, for billions of years there's been no evidence of God whatsoever. So to search for God or to search for angels is in vain. Well, how does he know that? But unfortunately, people take things like that and they think, oh, he must be smart. He's writing in a magazine. So people accept things that are being said without thinking them through. Now, I've got to tell you, folks, I think that just, uh, just as, as damaging as some of the nuts on the other side, the anti-God uh, atheist crowd uh, on the, in the scientific community, I think some of the Christians have done just as much damage to our cause by accepting everything as, uh, in their understanding or in their idea as a miracle. I've seen witness situations where things would happen and it would be, it turned out to be fraud. It turned out to be people's sleight of hand with gold dust and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and people just go crazy over this stuff. Well, why? Why does, why does man feel like he has to help God? If miracles are real and if miracles are right and if God really does operate in a miraculous way, we'll define our terms in just a minute then why do we feel like we have to help him? And why would we think that miracles, a true miracle, could not withstand scrutiny? See, so many times Christians just want to, and, and it's kind of, it's, it's the Disney theology. Just believe. Well, believe in what? Well, I think they want you to believe in their merchandise. But what does this mean? I mean, you can, you can get on a, an airplane in the Sky Mall magazines, get artificial rocks with believe carved in them. Well, what are they talking about? See, the idea that we're just supposed to believe without having something solid and something real to believe in is just as dangerous as the notion that so many of these nuts have, scientific nuts have, that there is no God. Carl Sagan, the late Carl Sagan, said, we must accept the fact that the cosmos is all, there is, is all that it is. There is nothing else. We are made of, we meaning mankind is made of the same material as the stars. Well, I'd like to hear Dr. Sagan's attitude about that now. I'm of the opinion that he has a different position on that now. But see, people make these, make these claims. They make these statements about, well, God can't be proven. Well, based on what? 
See, so many times when science says God can't be proven, there's no evidence for God, there's no evidence of true miracles, scientists want to create a naturalistic proof process, which means to, to say that they're trying to approve or trying to identify that unless something can naturally occur in nature, in and of itself, then it can't be proven. Well, that's the antithesis of a miracle. Let's define our terms. What is a miracle? I've always gone by the definition, a miracle is divine intervention into the ordinary course of nature. Well, that's true, but we could expand on that a little bit. What is a miracle? Well, we could get flowery definitions and so forth, but it's really this. It really comes down to something outside of time and space interposing itself into time and space. I was interested to read recently the story I'd never known it before I'd heard bits and pieces of it but never really read the story of uh, C.S. Lewis and his conversion but in his memoirs he tells about how that uh, that he and uh, a dear friend of his J.R.R. Tolkien uh, and both of these men are famous whether you know anything about their uh, religious backgrounds or not C.S. Lewis is the the um, uh, the author of the Narnia books Chronicles of Narnia and all that kind of stuff J.R.R. Tolkien is the author of Lord of the Rings novels well, they both were uh, contemporaries, young men, who came through the atrocities of World War I. And they saw all the gas warfare and the trench warfare and the horrible things and uh, the things that took place uh, in, in many ways much more savage than, uh, than what we're used to in, in modern warfare. We've got smart bombs and, you know, kill people on video screens now and stuff like that, and it's kind of sanitized. But World War I was really a, uh, a devastating thing from all accounts that I've read. And so they came through the horrors. Both of them lost... Uh, a lot of family members and loved ones and so forth. But they came out with different, uh, different positions. Tolkien had a belief that there had to be something more than this. The atrocities that he witnessed caused him to realize this can't be the end of everything. Lewis was just the other way around. Lewis came through with the idea that this proves that there's nothing else to life. That, the, that man is a savage and that's all there is to it. This is the end and that's it. But it made him sad. And what got him wondering is, along with Tolkien's, uh, some of his questions, the probing questions that he asked him, what got him wondering is, why am I sad about that? If this is all there is, what is it about this on the inside of me? It's from inside. What is this on the inside of me that makes me sad that this is all there is? Why do I hope for something more? And folks, you need to realize something. That's the basis of science. The basis of science is to understand what is the meaning of the things around us. The nihilists, the naturalists, the atheists say there is no meaning to anything. Well, then what's science trying to discover? If there's no meaning, what are they trying to discover? One of the great fallacies of our world is the idea that science explains everything. Science doesn't explain anything. Science describes stuff, but it explains nothing. And it's that very desire on the inside of scientists, even atheist science, atheistic science, scientists. It's that desire on the inside to understand more, to understand why. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if, if the world were darkness and man was made without eyes, darkness would have no meaning. We'd have no search for light. He said, it's the very presence of light that makes us want to understand the darkness. Well, that's true in a whole variety of ways, isn't it? If life has no meaning, then what is it on the inside of man that's developed these myths in other cultures? 
Why is mythology such an important part of, of every society known to mankind throughout the history of the world? Why is mythology there? Why does man search for something beyond this natural realm? There's a heart hunger on the inside of people, folks. Why does man search for meaning? Because he's made in the image of God. Tolkien asked Lewis this. He said, if, just for imagine, just, just for a second, imagine this. Consider this situation. Consider this possibility. They, they were both, they talked extensively about mythology. They were both fascinated with it and, and interested in it and so forth. And, uh, uh, and Tolkien asked Lewis, he said, imagine for a moment, just consider the possibility. Imagine that there is something else beyond this life. Imagine that all mythology comes from the desire on the inside of man to reach for something more, to reach for another realm. And imagine that mythology and the stories of death and, 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 and rising again and things like that. Imagine that that's God trying or a, a picture, an illustration of a God that created this universe. That's reaching through the veil. Offering a hand to man and saying, come with me. Take my hand. I'll take you to the better place. I'll take you to where you really belong. He asked Lewis. He said, uh, he, the, his nickname was Jack. He said, Jack, if that, if that were true, would you take his hand? Lewis couldn't get away from that. That didn't cause him to get saved, but boy, it caused him to search. It caused him to start wondering. It, st- it caused him to start searching his own heart. Would I do that if there was a God, if there was a creator, if this wasn't the end of everything like I've assumed that it is? If there was a God, would I take his hand if he reached through the veil of time? Would I take his hand and go to the place, become a citizen again of the place that my heart longs for? Well, you know the end of the story. He gave his heart to Jesus. The consideration, just the possibility that what was on the inside of him, the drawing on the inside of him, the heart hunger, those are my words, not his, but that heart hunger that is on the inside of every man, Christian and atheist alike, caused him to reach for something more. Even Sagan, I just quoted Sagan's, uh, uh, the late Carl Sagan's uh, statement about man is made as the same material as the stars. The very word stars makes you want to explore. I hear the word stars and I want to hear his statement. Man is made of the same materials as the stars. And I think, well, I want to know what the stars are made of. If that's true, I want to know about the stars. Folks, life has meaning. Science is searching for the meaning of life. One, uh, but you need to realize, more and more scientists are coming as, as discoveries are made. As more information is being, uh, knowledge is being gained by, by science. Scientists are coming to the realization that this can't be a random act. It can't be a random act. See, so many scientists, and these are the ones that get published. These are the ones that, are, that are the, have the loudest voice. But that's changing, too, in the scientific community. So many of those with the loudest voices are the ones standing up and saying, there is no God, there is no God. Well, how do they know? How do they know? Science accepts that the earth was created, the universe was created by the Big Bang 14 billion years ago. Well, the Bible doesn't refute that. They may be right. I don't know how they, how they date the time, but that's beyond me anyway. I really don't care how long ago it is. I just know it was some time ago. I don't know how old the earth is. I just know how old man is. And, uh, and science says that the Big Bang occurred 14 billion years ago, and all of a sudden, everything appeared. Well, 
Why did things appear the way that they appeared? Why, why did the universe appear with natural laws, physical laws? Why did the universe appear, appear with physical laws that cannot be broken unless by some unseen outside force, which man can't duplicate, which man can't identify? Is it that this just happened randomly, or is it because it was predetermined and preplanned to be that way? Not only that, but the Big Bang Theory that science accepts to be the creation of the universe violates the first law of thermodynamics. The scientific law that everything else is based on. First law of thermodynamics says that matter can neither be created nor destroyed. But the Big Bang says there was nothing and all of a sudden there was everything. That's a pretty unscientific approach to take. Wouldn't you agree? Now, they can't, science can't explain why. Science says this is what happened, but science has no clue why. And so many would say there is no meaning to it. Well, if there's no meaning to it, why did it happen? And why did it happen with such uniformity? Why did it happen with such, such considerable rationale to it? See, folks, the idea that we have that the earth, the, the earth and the universe can be understood rationally is a really new concept just within the last 100 to 150 years. Before then, nobody understood anything hardly about the laws of nature and the laws that kept the universe in place. And not only that, but why, does the universe, why is the universe sustained? Science can't explain that. How is it that the universe is sustained? Why didn't, why didn't the Big Bang, if that's the way things occurred, why didn't the Big Bang occur and then everything dissipate after that? Why does it continue? Science seeks those answers. Someone explained it like this. With all the, uh, the evidence and the information that's being gained in the scientific community, more and more of it points to an intelligent being, divine uh, intelligence. It's like science has been climbing up the precipice of a mountain, struggling over and over and over, searching generation after generation to get to the top. And then just as science gets to the top of the precipice, and looks over into the summit, they find theologians that have, that have been sitting there for centuries. Because the more they find out, the more it points to intelligent design. Folks, you need to understand, the Bible is the most scientific book there is. And it's not complete when it tells us, uh, as far as the information about how things work, but science does not refute the Bible. In any way whatsoever. In any way whatsoever. Now, another idea that, that, that's uh, prevalent, particularly where the church is concerned, is that miracles used to happen, but they don't happen anymore. Well, why would that be? If God could break the... Let me, um, uh, let me define some scientific terms for you, and, and please, I've just read books. I don't know anything about this stuff. I don't claim to be an expert. But I am intelligent enough to be able to read and understand. I think that gives me an advantage over a lot of the experts. <laughs> Nevertheless, there are different, uh, science considers different systems. One's an open system and one's a closed system. The difference between an open system and a closed system, one, the closed system is contained within itself. The open system is open to outside forces. Well, those that would say there is no God and there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no spirit realm or anything else like the Bible speaks of, those would indicate that the earth, is a, the earth and the universe is a closed system. Now, the barrier or the boundary of the closed system is called singularity. It's the, it's the, the, the membrane, it's the barrier, whether seen or unseen, 
that, that defines or withholds or holds within the closed system. And so those that would say there is no God, those would say that science, is proves, science proves that there is no God are saying that the universe is a closed system. Well, if the universe is a closed system, how did it get here? Again, we're back to the Big Bang Theory. Now, for the church that says that miracles are a closed system, they used to happen, but they don't happen anymore. Or, and, and the scientific community, the, the, uh, the educational community, in many cases say, well, you know, people in our past, our forefathers, they believed in miracles. That's an arrogant way to say they didn't know what was real and what wasn't. I mean, to, 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 to be so arrogant as to say people that lived in the day where these things happened didn't really know that they weren't real. Who do we think we are? Well, I, I think the answer is pretty clear with a lot of the educational community. The elitists, so-called, they think they're smarter than anybody else. But think about what that really means. What that really means is people that live, people just like you and me, weren't intelligent enough to know what was real and what was a miracle. They weren't intelligent enough, enough to know what was natural and what was supernatural. Poor them. But now we're smart. Now we know. We know that those things are just fables. Well, how can we know that they're just fables? How can we know? Everything about science, everything about the discoveries that are made in science points more and more to what the Bible says happened. In 2013, there were uh, gravitational waves discovered in space that were never before recognized, never before known. And it points back to the Big Bang Theory. It points back to something that occurred that continued, not just a single random act. Now, as far as the church is concerned, those that say that miracles have been done away, why is it that God could reach through that membrane, that barrier? The singularity. Why could God reach through that membrane and cause something to happen before, but now he can't do it again? And if God is the author of this whole system, meaning the universe, Who's to say God can't do something within that system? And here's the real question, folks. We could talk a lot about this. And I, I need to make a couple of points. And, and forgive me if I'm, uh, I've got a lot of information crammed in my head that, that's not coming out in, uh, in logical order, perhaps. So I may go back and forth to certain things. But Darwin said, Darwin, the, who's considered to be the father of evolution, Darwin said that as knowledge increases... And scientific discoveries are made. More and more fossils will be discovered to prove the theory of evolution. Fossils that show the adaptation between two species and the, the progress between one species into another. But the fact is, just the opposite has happened. Millions of fossils have been discovered of the same type and variation. But not one showing half one type of animal, half another type of animal. Not one. So more and more, science and scientific discoveries are proving the Bibles. In, uh, in 2014, there were, um, uh, there's always been a, a question about two things in the Bible. One is the Hittite people that are mentioned over and over again in the Old Testament. Another is David, King David of Israel. Because there's no historical evidence for either one of them or there wasn't. But archaeological discoveries have been made for both of those, concerning both of those individuals, both of those peoples, within the last two years... 
One has been some kind of tablets that were found that identified the, the language of the Hittites. And they, when, they, when they broke the language, when they broke the code of the language, it uncovered thousands of references to the Hittites. Now, whereas just a couple of years ago, science would not accept that there ever really was a Hittite people like the Bible says, now they have documented evidence and documented proof that, oh yeah, they had a whole kingdom and they lived on the earth for some thousands of years or whatever the length of time was. Same thing's true where King David is concerned. Israel has no real historical evidence that David was ever king, that he was ever a literal person. And so many people have accepted that the, the David of the Bible was just an allegory. But they found documented evidence now. Everything, the more they find out, points back to the truth of God's word. Folks, what I want you to understand is, don't, we should not, we as Christians should not ever let somebody put us down because we believe the Bible. The idea that reason contradicts faith is just stupid. Because true faith is not a step into the dark, it's a step into the light. Now the question is why? Why miracles? Why does God do miracles? Let me ask it this way. If God does a miracle in the forest and nobody's there to see it, is it a miracle? That's as stupid a question to consider as the one that is batted around in theological circles and young people always get a hold of this one. Can God make a rock too big for him to lift? Well, the answer to those questions will save your life, won't it? It'll turn your life around. How stupid. The answer to the first one, is it a real miracle? The answer is no. God doesn't do miracles that people can't see. Why? Because the purpose of miracles is to communicate with man. Think about the parting of the Red Sea. Now, the naturalist would say the parting of the Red Sea is it can't be miraculous it's got to be a story because it doesn't occur in nature it, it's just a story it's just a fable it didn't really occur but notice how that the whole purpose of the red sea crossing the red sea parting where pharaoh's armies the armies of egypt were destroyed and israel went across on dry ground it becomes a hinge in the history of israel it becomes a singular event the passover is about the angel of death passing over the Egyptians when they were delivered from Egypt. But it's really about the crossing of the Red Sea. As far as the Jews are concerned, without the Red Sea crossing, what good does it do to be delivered from Israel or from Egypt? What good does it do for Israel to be delivered from Egypt? What good is the Passover, the saving of the, uh, the Israelite people? What good is the Passover if they died at the Red Sea? And so Passover to the, to the Israelites means the whole story, the whole story of being delivered from the Egyptian bondage, both the plagues that took place that caused Pharaoh to see that God was God, the Passover, the angel of death that passed over the, the house of the Israel, Israelites, but then more importantly, the Red Sea crossing. Now, let me ask you a question. If the Red Sea parted every 150 years on its own, would the Red Sea crossing and God parting the Red Sea for Israel to go across on dry ground, would that have been a miracle? The answer is no. It would have been a coincidence of timing. See, that's the thing about a miracle. A miracle is something from outside the system. C.S. Lewis defined a miracle somewhat, somewhat like this, and forgive me if I mess up the quote. But he defined a miracle as this. He said, a miracle is the adjustment of a system that we are so familiar with 
that is so commonly understood that we wouldn't consider any adjustment to that system even possible. That's a miracle. He even used the example of the virgin birth as a, as a description. He said if, if uh, children were born, babies were born naturally for hundreds or even thousands of years and that system was adjusted in such a way that God created a sperm cell to be implanted in a woman. He said that's miraculous. We wouldn't even consider that to be possible. Moses didn't consider the crossing of the Red Sea. Or the parting of the Red Sea to be a possibility. Moses stands there before God with, with Egypt bearing down on him. Moses said Lord what do I do? God almost gets mad at him. He says what are you crying out to me for? I've said this thousands of times. But folks that looks like a perfect time to me to pray. Yet God says what are you praying for? What are you calling out to me for? He said, you stretch your hand out over the water. You part the sea. What is that telling us? That's telling us that something from outside of time and space entered the realm of time and space through man. Why? Because God's communicating to Israel. What is is he communicating to them? Listen, God could have uh, delivered Israel in any number of ways. That pillar of fire that's separating Israel from Egypt at that moment in time. That pillar of fire could have just moved into the middle of the camp and wiped them out. He could have burned them. Why the parting of the Red Sea? Why cause the waters to stand up in a heap? Because God is communicating to Israel. The God that delivered you from the bondage of Egypt. This is the God. He is that God. That's willing to show himself strong in that manner. It would have been so easy. God could have just caused a whirlwind to go through the the armies of of Egypt. Destroy him any number of ways. He could have caused snakes. There was the land of snakes. He could have caused snakes to go in and bite them. There are any number of natural things, natural phenomenon that he could have used to destroy Egypt, the armies of Egypt. But that's not what he was after. Because, folks, and here is the real crux of the matter. Miracles are designed to communicate with man. Miracles are designed by God to communicate with man. Man. We look back at the crossing of the Red Sea. We say wow. Look at what God did. Well the real issue is not that he delivered Israel. The issue is look how he delivered Israel. Look at how he delivered Israel. As I said he could have caused a plague. He could have caused swarms of locusts. He could have caused anything to kill the, the, the soldiers. The Egyptian soldiers. He could have wiped out the armies in any number of ways. But the way that he did it caused man to know that he is that God. The God that supersedes the laws of nature when necessary. Now if God can do that, why in the world does the church world or or the world in general have a problem with Jesus turning water into wine? That seems like a small thing. I mean if he divided the wine into cup... That would have been interesting. But he just turned water into wine. Why? Because every miracle is designed to communicate with man. To communicate not only God's power, God's might, God's strength, God's unlimited ability. But also to communicate his willingness to do great things for mankind. Jesus said of himself, he said, except they had seen me do miracles. If I had not done miracles that no man had ever done before... 
they wouldn't be judged for rejecting me. Why? Because Jesus' miracles were designed to communicate with man. Can I ask you another question? How hard is it for God to break the singularity of this universe? We know how he did it to begin with. The only record we have of anything that God ever created was through words. For us to assume or to conclude or even surmise that God used some other means of creation with the Big Bang other than his words speaking the universe into existence would, for, would be for us to speculate. It would be pure speculation because we have no evidence that God ever created anything other than through the spoken word. Now, if there's a way that God created the universe or anything else outside of what he tells us in the Bible, then the Bible's not a complete picture to reveal to us who he is. And that's what the Bible's all about. The Bible is all about telling us and informing us of who God really is. So for me, it's a very simple thing to understand that the Big Bang happened because God said, let there be a heaven and an earth. Let there be a universe. I don't know to what detail he went, but he had some plan in mind, and his words carried out that plan, and bang, in a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second. When there was nothing, all of a sudden something was. And that something that existed was contained, directed by, and sustained by natural laws. The Bible even tells us in Hebrews that the whole universe, the world and everything around us, is sustained by the word of his power. Well, that tells me that if it's sustained by the word of his power, then it must have been created by the word of his power. Wouldn't you think? So how does God break through the veil? How does God break through the barrier? How does God, outside of time and space, reach into the realm of time and space with his word? That's the hand that reaches through the barrier. It's his word because his word is his power. Paul said about the word of God, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, meaning the word. For it is the power of God unto salvation. That word salvation means rescue, deliver. It means even miracle working power if necessary. Jesus said in talking to his disciples about the day that we live in. He said if you ask anything in my name I will do it. P.C. Nelson who is a, a Greek scholar. The foremost Greek scholar of his day some years ago said this, explained this to a group of younger ministers. He said in the original Greek, which he had a Greek testament, and he was reading from it. He said in the original Greek, it means, if I don't have it, I'll make it. Whatever you call for in my name, if I don't have it, I'll make it. In other words, God is expressing his desire, his willingness to reach from, time, from the barrier, beyond the barrier of time and space into the realm that we live in to meet the needs that we have. Miracles are meant to communicate with you. Well, when did the Bible say that God quit communicating? He didn't. God never changes. So if God's desire was to communicate with mankind in the Old Testament, wouldn't his desire to be communicate with mankind in the New Testament? Well, he did. He did through Jesus. But then Jesus doesn't change either. And Jesus said, you'll do the same works that I did and even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. What does, that, what does that indicate to us? It indicates that God still wants to communicate with man through miracles. My hope, folks, in this series, 
by hope and looking at some of the individual miracles and talking about them and taking them apart. You'll notice we haven't looked at any scripture this morning except what we started. We referred to a few scriptures. But I want you to understand miracles. I want you to come to the place where it's a matter of your understanding, not just simple faith. And I don't say that in a derogatory way, but I think a lot of times we hide behind that. I think a lot of times we take the attitude that we're supposed to just believe and not think. But the things of God can withstand your thinking. They can stand up to your reasoning. They can stand up to scrutiny. We need to understand miracles. I, th- I look at the life of Jesus. I see the Gospels. Read the Gospel accounts of Jesus. Oh, by the way, did you know that in 2014 in the Vatican, they hired, the Vatican hired some kind of special hoop-to-do guy. I don't know who he is. But in vaults that have contained documents and, 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 and um, scrolls and stuff like that, stuff that hadn't been looked at in hundreds and hundreds of years. They hired some guy to start going through some of this stuff and find out what they have. They found one thing that they just have reported on. They're still doing some of the tests. Well, by the end of October, they were still doing some of the tests on it. I haven't seen the the results of the test. But uh, they found something that was authored by some well-known Roman historian. Now, they they know, and there have been uh, other documented finds of uh, of this guy's work. And so he's respected as a, a straightforward, straight shooter guy. He wasn't somebody that was hired by the by the, the Caesar or somebody to, to say things the way he wanted them said or anything like that. So he's considered to be a, a well-respected historian. This guy was on some journey. It's a, it's, it's a four-page uh, document that outlines his journey that he took at a certain point of time in his life. And he came to a certain town. And in this town, there was a man that he identifies as, the, as Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, in this town, there was a baby that was stillborn. And just when Jesus came to this town, Jesus went to the house of this baby that was born dead, took the baby in its hands, prayed something that I didn't understand, and the baby started squirming and screaming and crying, and he handed it back to his mother. That's considered now to be a, a historical document, folks. Now, I want to know where that happened in the Gospels. That doesn't line up with any story that I see in any of the four Gospels. But remember, John said if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the books, the world itself couldn't contain the books. So here's something that if I was God, I'd think I'd want to include this story. But apparently Jesus did miracles in such common, it was such a common thing with him. That even stories of raising dead babies to life didn't make the cut. Jesus lived a life of miracles. Why? To communicate with man. What is, God's le- what is God's job for the church? To communicate with man the things of God. I have such an expectancy in my heart that man is coming to the place, the church is coming to the place, where we're going to live in the power of God. I don't think it's going to last a whole long time. I don't think it's going to be centuries or anything like that that the church does it. But at the end... Where the scripture says over and over again in different ways that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of his glory. I think that's going to be people like you and me. Normal, everyday, normal people. Well, I said normal twice. Maybe that's important. I'm not sure. But everyday folks, not famous people, 
Not people that the world singles out as saying, oh, they're somebody. Just ordinary people that understand the life of God within them. I believe we're coming to the place where miracles are, coming, are going to become commonplace just like they were with Jesus. If not, we're not living up to what Jesus said about doing his works. That's where I think we're headed, folks. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it with all of my heart. God still wants to communicate with you through miracles. God still wants to communicate with the world through miracles. God didn't lose one bit of his miracle working power when Jesus was raised from the dead. And he didn't lose one bit of his miracle working power when the last apostle died. God is still the God that does miracles. As we started in Psalm 77, thou art the God that doeth miracles. God never changes. He will always do miracles. And I believe we're just coming into the day where he's going to do such a, um, there's going to be such a flood of miracles take place in this earth. It will sweep people in. It will sweep people in. The, the um, thing about the resurrection of Jesus, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but think for a minute about the resurrection of Jesus. The system that was created from the Big Bang and the, the, the accepted system that we know of that operates in mankind and in this earth is that man dies, and after he's dead, that's the end of his physical life. God interposed. He reached in through time and space into the realm, out from outside of the realm of time and space into this earth realm, this natural realm. And he caused something to happen in such a way that was designed so that everybody would know it had to be God. That's what the resurrection of Jesus was all about. You remember the Bible says that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, it says, uh, I think it, I'm not sure which gospel writer said it, but it says that he was seen by over 500 people after he was raised from the dead. You remember that? The original Greek on that would indicate from the language that it was 500 people at one time. That it wasn't a total of 500 people that saw him after he was raised from the dead. But there was, there was a group of people of over 500 people at one time that saw him. We don't know how many people outside of that saw him raised from the dead. Or after he was raised. But the, the point is this. In order for God to perform a miracle. In order for God to work in the system. To make an adjustment to this life and death system. In such a way, so unexpected, that, we, that man wouldn't even consider it possible. The only way that that could work is if God did it in such a way that there were enough people, a multitude of people, that saw it so that nobody could deny it. And that's exactly what he did. That didn't cause everybody to believe. <clears throat> Here's the thing about miracles. Miracles don't automatically force people to believe. There are some people that are so convinced that an adjustment to the expected system that they're familiar with is not possible that when it does occur, they reject it. As many people did after Jesus was raised from the dead. I've always wondered when the Bible says there was over 500 people that saw Jesus raised from the dead, why is there only 120 in the upper room? Where are the other 380 plus? What are they doing? Well, the answer is very simple. They're going on with their life. The significance of what they saw, the, the significance of what they experienced escaped them because they were busy. They were just taking care of their stuff, just like you and me. They had laundry to do. They had to work. I wonder how many people are going to miss heaven just because they were distracted. Simple things. They failed to recognize that God's communicating with them. 
Oh, folks, I want, I want to believe. I do believe, but I want to believe that God wants to communicate with people that way today. There's something on the inside of me that just cries out for that. Isn't that true for you too? I mean, I start talking about this stuff and my heart just begins to reach out. It's almost like I feel like my spirit's leaving my body. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I can remember back to before I found Jesus. He said, I felt like I was a prince that was exiled from a kingdom to which I belonged. Well, that's a flowery way of saying it. I never would have come up with those words. But I can relate to his feeling. He felt like he belonged somewhere else than this cold, dead, dry world that was full of death and disease and trouble. Well, he found Jesus. And as a result, he took the hand of the one that had reached through time and space to show him the kingdom that he really belonged to. And he lived his life as a part of that kingdom from that point on. We are even as Jesus said, we're in the world, but we are not of this world. There's a heavenly home that belongs to us. That home that's greater and more marvelous than anything. The best day here doesn't even count for heaven. But God's got a work for us to do here. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are the God that does miracles. Lord, we ask that you would teach us. Take the words that I've said and even more importantly, the things that you've spoken to people's hearts during this service and cause them to see, cause them to realize how simple miracles are, how close the spirit realm, the realm of the miraculous is to us, how that we have access, even though that we haven't recognized it, even though we haven't realized it, how close we are and how easy it is for the power of God, the word of God, to reach through time and space to affect this system that we're a part of. Oh, Father, thank you that you are the God of the miraculous. Thank you for the glory of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for the glory of the Lord that will be seen on the earth this day, this age, in these days. Father, the word says that Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And has long patience. He's not coming back until he receives this precious fruit of the earth, which is brought forth by the early and the latter rain, a moving of the Holy Ghost. Father, I believe that any moving of the Holy Ghost is a miraculous moving. That any work of the Holy Ghost produces signs and wonders and miracles. Father, help us to realize that miracles are signs, that they're to point to something. The purpose is not the miracles themselves, but the sign that it points to. The God that they point to. Use us, Father. I thank you, Father, that the reign of God is falling upon the earth. It's falling upon this church. I thank you that that reign brings with it signs and wonders and miracles. I thank you that prophecy and tongues and interpretation flows through our church like a river. I thank you, Father, that divine revelation is given to our church. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge and discerning of spirits in great measure. And, Father, I thank you that the power of God is evident, commonplace in this church and in this people. Special faith, working of miracles, gifts of healings. These are the miracle works of God. 
These are the miracle works of Jesus, the works that we're to do because he's gone to the Father. Lord, we've come too far. We've learned too much. We're not willing to accept anything less than the miraculous. You said whatever we call for in the name of Jesus, you'd give it to us. We call for miracles. We call for healing miracles. We call for the lame to walk. We call for the blind to see and the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. We call for people to be delivered from the power of Satan. We call for the working of God, the miracle working of God, to be commonplace. Not so that we make a name for ourselves, but so that we show that the name of Jesus is great. And that he'll use anybody, even us. Thank you, Father, for making it so. I thank you, Lord, that you cause faith to rise. Faith for miracles to rise in each and every one of us. I thank you, Father, that you confirm your word with signs following. Signs, signs, miracles that follow. So I commit to you, Father, I'll teach on them. I'll teach on miracles till Jesus comes back if that's what's necessary. And I thank you that you perform them in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Cover the earth with your glory, Lord. Cover the earth with your glory. Cover the earth with your glory. Lord, your word says, when you turned the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our tongue filled with laughter and our mouth filled with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Yea, the Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Let that be our day, Father. Let our day be as days of heaven upon the earth. Days of heavenly miracles upon the earth. For the impossible is commonplace. And miracles are ordinary. Days where we live as it were in a dream. Where the wonder that you placed in the inside of each one of us when you created man in your image is realized. Oh, Father, that's what we seek. That's what we seek. And that's what we'll have. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. You know one thing I'm looking for, folks? And I don't mean I'm believing for this, but I just had the thought. I want you to be afraid to miss church for what you're going to miss out on. That's how commonplace I want the power of God to be in this place. And not just because so we can say it's ours or anything like that. But if we get used to it here, then we can take it with us out into the world. Church, in one respect, church is supposed to be like lab. A lab experiment. So that you become accustomed to the things of God. The things that belong to you. This is the day of miracles, folks. It's always been the day of miracles, but we're changing. It's not like God's changing. But I know I am. 
Come change with me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for ordering the steps of each and every one of us. I thank you that we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That our eyes are open to who we are in Christ and the power that belongs to us. In Jesus' precious name, everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being a part of us.